So Zack Snyder's Justice League has been out for a few days now, so I thought it'd be finally time to discuss the movie with spoilers. Hey everyone, welcome back to Movie Morning, where we discuss all things movies, reviews, rankings, and all of that fun stuff. And today we're going to be discussing Zack Snyder's Justice League with full spoiler detail, talking about things I loved, things I didn't fully get into, and things that I did not like from the movie. There are not many of those if you've seen my original review. If you're still yet to see this four-hour superhero epic, I do have a spoiler-free review that I posted three or four days ago now, so go and check that out. If you haven't seen the film, if you have seen the film, you can go check that out and also watch this because obviously I'll be diving into spoilers here and you already know what happens and you want to hear my thoughts. With spoilers, this is the episode for you. So I hope you guys have all had a chance to watch Zack Snyder's Justice League. I know they've made it available pretty much everywhere, so... I thought I didn't have to wait too long to really get into spoilers, but I ended up delaying it a bit because it is a very long movie. So today, finally, I'm going to get into spoilers. Before I start, though, I do want to give a little, you know, tell you a bit about what's coming up this week. We've got a really exciting week here on the show. We've got coming up, we've got our, um, our my review for Chaos Walking. I know it's like three weeks late, but I do. I was I was slightly excited to see it, and I do have a few things to say about it that I think might be new to like I want to add to the conversation and then in a few days uh, hopefully by the end of the week my ranking for the, the my updated ranking for the DCEU including the extended edition so I will have both versions of Batman v Superman as well as Zack Snyder's Justice League in the rankings so that will be 11 movies and then at the end of this week as always expect one of those Disney plus Marvel reviews for Falcon Winter Soldier episode 2 and next week come back to my review for Godzilla vs Kong on Tuesday, I believe, because the review embargo lifts on Monday, so it might be late on Monday because it's um, opening worldwide this week and then on HBO Max next week. So I'll be seeing that in the next week, expect my review. And then also expect a, a ranking for much the four Monsterverse movies you know, in that franchise that there will have been by the time Godzilla vs. Kong releases in just a couple of days. So look out for that coming up soon. Anyways, with that said, let's get started with our spoiler review. So I'm not going to go into like everything in this movie as I originally planned to because I don't I don't think that it's necessary to go everything in detail. I will mention pretty much every plot beat just to kind of keep you guys up with where I'm at, not, you know, despite trying to recap the movie or anything, to keep you guys up with where I'm talking about, but really talk about really the main changes as well as some of the things they kept the same from Justice League. So I'm going to get started pretty much. Firstly, I very much prefer the opening of this movie. It opens pretty much recapping the the ending of BVS, but in a way that is great because it shows perspective of how, um, of kind of how, um, the world saw Superman's death, you know, like the cry went out as Lex Luthor describes, we got to see how Cyborg reacted and it actually showed that the mother boxes awoke because the Kryptonian being Clark Kent, Kal-El died and that's what gave them a chance, you know, that they can call in Steppenwolf because they have a chance to because so they can form the unity. And with Superman dead, there's a lower chance of anyone being able to stop them. So that's why the mother boxes wrote. And they, mother boxes woke. And that's why. And they show that in the opening scene of the film. And I thought that was great. And I think and the opening credits, I really, it was, it's a very long set of opening credits. And it's followed by a sequence with, between Batman and Aquaman. Pretty much the same as the Whedon cut. Except with a few corny jokes. A few less corny jokes. And I think... But I do say that, I do want to say that I think that the scene, the ending of the scene where, you know, there's a bunch of people singing as Aquaman kind of just leaves, I think that was a little much. And I think that that's like a minute that could have been cut. And there's many scenes like that where there's like, 
like a minute at least from like a lot of scenes in this movie that I think could have been cut to kind of tighten up the runtime to at least like three hour and 30 to maybe like 40 minutes. And this is definitely one of them and I noticed it instantly. And then I'm going to separate my, my um, breakdown, by the way, into parts. So I'll talk about, you know, each of the parts and then I'll talk a little bit like part one, part two, part three, part four, part five, part six. So if you want to just see me talk about the climax, you can uh, go to the, you know, you can go to the segment where I talk about part six, by the way. So I think it's the, uh, from really from this chapter, from this part, and the other thing to mention, which I believe was in this part, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I do think that um, hopefully this was in this part because I'm not 100% sure, but I think Wonder Woman, uh, her saving the civilians, I believe in Paris because Alfred does mention Paris in the original, and not the Whedon cut of this movie. So I do believe it's in Paris that um, Wonder Woman saves these civilians from you know, a bunch of armed robbers. And I really love this scene in this movie. The action feels a lot more from frenetic and Zack Snyder-like. It's not phenomenal. I do think I mean, this is one of the action points in the movie where I feel like it's a little overly stylized for my liking. But it definitely does give a feeling of intensity, which was really missing from the scene in Whedon's cut. And this scene definitely works a lot better in that manner. And I think... I love how, because, and obviously it's a lot more intense because Wonder Woman's a lot more brutal. There's a lot of blood in this scene. Like, it's, I was surprised by how far they went in some of these movies. But this movie, I guess I should also talk about that R rating. I don't think it was necessary at all. There are a few scenes where, you know, they kind of, you know, take the language a little over what you'd expect from, you know, a comic book movie these days. And there, but there isn't, like, too much violence that I think actually warrants it. Now, there's one particular sequence with Batman at the end of the movie where he kind of, you know, drops an F-bomb. And I do think that with that one, it really did work. But I think the rest of them, they could have easily gone with that. And one of those F-bombs is actually in this scene. So the R rating was not necessary, but I, but I think it does make that make the movie feel like it's not held back. So it can kind of go, and being, go more and being realistic. And I do think usually that's a plus. And I think the last thing I want to talk about from this part is, of course... The attack on, you know, pretty much on Themyscira. And Steppenwolf this time calls in. Basically, obviously, we've got to talk about Steppenwolf. His design's mass- massively improved. There's no way that I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone on planet Earth will, would prefer Whedon's design for Steppenwolf. And I think what I really love about the scene is it kind of adds that feeling of epicness by what happens in this scene. So instead of, you know, Steppenwolf just getting out of the, you know, that, uh, what do you call it? I guess that kind of building. This time the building collapses underwater. And it's it kind of just falls. And you can just feel the scope by all these wide shots. Snyder's showing it by. And then Steppenwolf come back and you're like, oh no. There, there's a real sense of doom that I really think was lacking in the original cut. But in this movie, I definitely felt it. And I think the color grading kind of not the overly colored you know, nature of Whedon's cut. Is not here, but I do think that, that at times with this Themyscira scene, that I think it's a little drab, a little more drab than we've come to expect from Wonder Woman movies, and I think we would just expect out of the island in general. So I feel like every scene on Themyscira for me is when I think Snyder's color palette doesn't fully land, but I much prefer this to what Whedon did, kind of just going over with a filter and how fake it looked. This definitely looked better in my eyes. So now getting into part two, we do, of course, one of the things we have to talk about, basically what this whole part is, is kind of, it's devoted to kind of 
telling the backstory of the main villains. And I think that's great that they have a part that kind of is dedicated to this. So following the attack on Themyscira by Steppenwolf, he kind of goes and we see Desaad for the very first time. And as well as we get references to Darkseid, who is pretty much completely cut out of out of the film, like pretty much the, I mean, like the original cut of the movie. So obviously that was really disappointing for a lot of fans, including myself, because I was so excited to see um, Darkseid and, and even Desaad to a degree. And I think I really like that we get both those characters here, but for the most part, we definitely do get Desaad using the setup scenes. And I think they, I think this, these scenes go on a little longer than they need to, and it's kind of just villain mumbo jumbo for some of it. But it definitely gives you that sense of epicness and be through like you know the you know the voice and I think Steppenwolf's voice is definitely better. But what I love about these scenes, obviously, is that it does definitely give Step Steppenwolf more of a um, you know more of a motivation and that he he's kind of re he made a mistake and he's repaying he's uh repaying Darkseid by you know he owes him fifty thousand worlds and obviously. He wants to repay him by forming the unity and getting the mother boxes. And this comes back to play later with the anti-life equation, which I'll get into, um, you know, in a few segments. And I think this is where kind of the parts kind of start to get mixed up, kind of like the middle of this movie. So if I do mix up one of the parts, I'm sorry. That's just a mistake. There's a lot going on in this movie. So, you know, it's a little hard to fully keep track. But anyways, I'm definitely, I definitely really like that we get Steppenwolf's true motivation of why he wants to form the unity. And I like that a lot more. So the other thing from this chapter that really is, of this part, which is really prominent, is kind of like the, the scene where Wonder Woman kind of tells Bruce Wayne about the, what happened with Dark, like the last time Darkseid was on Earth. Which I guess the villains don't know that Earth is the planet that actually managed to defeat Darkseid and he wasn't able to fully conquer like all the other planets. I guess they don't know that, but Wonder Woman definitely does. So I thought that was kind of weird. But I love this scene because this is a much more extended sequence of kind of like the gods and the lanterns and the Amaz Amazonians and the and the uh, the Atlanteans fighting Darkseid and his army and the Parademons. It's a much more extended sequence, and I really like that we get to see Green Lan one of the Green Lanterns. And he gets his hand chopped off. I thought, I thought the way they framed that shot was great. It was... Again, some pretty edgy stuff, especially when, you know, Darkseid gets sta like, stabbed and you see just the blood pouring out of him. It definitely gives that scene more of an added realism because I think, for the most part, I guess this is one of those scenes where there, it is extremely effects-heavy. But I do really like the way Darkseid looks in this scene, which he didn't look great when they first showed him off in the original trailers for the Snyder Cut, like, last year. But they definitely improved his look over the time since then, and he looks great in this scene. And I love how what Wonder Woman's explaining kind of ties into the end. And basically, Bruce Wayne is now going to tell her about, you know, the, the, they're, they're going to, like, the Age of Heroes, is all, is they wanted to come again. And obviously, that's going to be used to defeat Steppenwolf. I guess I should mention also that another thing I really like about this cut compared to Whedon's cut is that Bruce Wayne doesn't know about the Mother Boxes until Wonder Woman tells him. It's not like some cheap way of doing it, like a drawing on the wall, but rather... He just feels like an attack is coming, so out of guilt, he's kind of, and also want, wanting, you know, to repay Superman, you know, for all the, for pretty much Bruce Wayne making a mistake. He wants to form this team to be, you know, the protectors of Earth. So I like that motivation for him a lot more of wanting to form the Justice League. So I thought I'd mention that. And basically, now we get into part three, and part three is definitely 
focused on setting up our Justice League members. And obviously, we already met Aquaman. But in this chapter, we do get quite a few things. Firstly, I believe in this chapter that we do get the when we do get the parts where Atlantis is attacked. So I think I'll talk about that, even though this isn't the first thing that happens. Um, I really um, I for the Atlantis scene. It's not fully changed, and I think some of the color grading underwater. Again, this is another part where I don't think it fully works because, especially with the hair of some of the characters, like you can't make out what color it is, like especially Mirab, which I find it weird that they gave her a British accent in this movie and not the Aquaman movie. So that felt inconsistent and odd, but I'm going to give that a pass because Snyder's had nothing to do with the DCEU since he left since he left in 2017, so it's not like he had full control over James Wan or whatever when he was making his movie. So that, I think that's all right. And besides that, the, I don't have too much to say about the Atlanta stuff other than I really like that Volko shows up, played by Willem Dafoe. I saw his name in the credits when the movie started, and I was surprised because I didn't expect to see him. At first, I was like, Willem Dafoe, who does he play? And then I did remember Aquaman. I did remember. And I liked seeing his character. Different look. Again, it, the color palettes definitely don't match with... Match with the other movie, but it works. Fine in my opinion. Anyways, moving on now, we, of course, we have The Flash, who is introduced just over an hour, pretty much in part three of this movie, and just at the start of it. And his scene with Iris West that I talked about in my spoiler-free review, because it wasn't a spoiler, because it was shown in the trailer, I wasn't a big fan of the inclusion of the scene. That's like a five-minute scene that added nothing except the fact that she's Iris West. But I did like to see that we saw him actually saving someone, which he was obviously too scared to do in the Whedon cut for one reason or another. And the introduction scene between him and Bruce Wayne has actually changed. It has a much longer setup to it. And I was surprised to find that the joke where Barry Allen goes, what are your superpowers? And Bruce Wayne says, I'm rich. That was actually by Zack Snyder. And that's actually one of my favorite jokes from the other movie. And I found that every single one of my favorite jokes from the other cut made it into this movie, meaning that that was all Zack Snyder. So basically, looking back on the 2017 Justice League movie, Joss Whedon more or less ruined the movie because all of my favorite parts of that film, like when The Flash is running and then Superman like turns his head as you know to show how quick Superman is, that's one of my favorite scenes of that movie. And it's in this cut, meaning that Joss Whedon really, all, that, all those scenes I love in the other movie weren't by him. So the changes he made felt really ill-advised to me now looking back but obviously in the flash we also get the introduction of cyborg in this movie and i was shocked at how much they went into cyborg it's like at least 20 minutes is pretty much devoted to scenes of him of himself in his head as well as his backstory and why you know the relationship how it is with his father where they kind of they're kind of distanced because his, his father was so focused on his work discovering the mother boxes and after victor stone which pretty much we learned gets in an accident with his mother when they were driving home from a football game, which I really liked the football game, by the way, the way, the way they presented that. When they were driving home, there was a car crash, and he basically, both of them pretty much die, and um, Silas, who's, Victor, who's um, Victor's father, who, by the way, is terrific in this movie, he pretty much uses the mother boxes to bring him back, and I think I like that they went into that a lot more in this compared to the other movie. And it definitely makes Cyborg a more likable character and why, to me, he's the standout character of the movie. He's not my favorite in terms of the actors. 
portraying them and how much I enjoy watching them. But I do think, as a character and how well they've developed they are, I think he came out being the best character. And I think Ray Fisher, while I said, you know, he's not my favorite to watch on screen, I think Ray Fisher probably does give the best performance out of the whole movie. And I, I, was, and I, I was really surprised by that with this time compared to last time where I felt like he was way too kind of like just a little too static for me. And I think it's definitely not that in this movie. And I, and the, and there's definitely, again, they even add a few jokes with him, with him in the flash. And I really like the relationship they grow in this movie. And it's really sad that we're not going to get to see them pair up in the flash movie directed by Andy Muschietti, because obviously, you know, Ray Fisher has been saying, you know, to WB, the allegations he's made, you know, it's not the best situation, but I'm really, but I'm really glad we got to see that in the movie. And I like that Snyder definitely went more into Victor Stone. Moving into the fourth part, if I remember correctly, I didn't. I think that pretty much this whole part was devoted to kind of that sequence on the, you know, pretty much under the Gotham Harbor on Strikers Island, which um, one thing that I like is I really I think that the introduction scene with um, Commissioner Gordon. I think in this one I like the theme leading up to it a little more, even though the one from the other film I think was really quite good too. With this one, again, there's a joke in it, which I also liked from the original cut, which they kept here, which, again, was one of the better jokes in that movie, meaning that, once again, it was, in fact, by Zack Snyder. So they go over to Strikers Island, and this is pretty much a whole action segment, the really the first big coming of the Justice League, but pretty much all we have right now is Cyborg, The Flash, Wonder Woman, and Batman. And there's a lot of changes in this scene, as in, the people the, and within our Justice League don't really joke around and they don't have as much, you know, wasted time conversations in between them arriving and fighting the bad guys. But I, what I really like about this scene is I love the inclusion of uh, uh, Hans Zimmer's original Wonder Woman theme he made for BBS. I love that that comes back here. Uh, Hans Zimmer's Superman theme as well as Batman theme also both come in here. Not in this scene, but there are throughout the movie, and I love the score for this movie. It's definitely a lot more in continuity, and I think that's always great for me. That's not something that I don't that everyone needs, but that's something that I definitely prefer when it comes to, you know, my comic book movies and having a shared cinematic universe. And I thought this attack, this fight scene was definitely more intense. The Flash was used a lot better, and that he didn't. He already knew how to save people, and he and he and he's shown like kind of like the more the most personal out of the Justice League members, and that stuff that definitely tracks with what you'd expect out of the Flash. So that was really cool. Again, and I th- I like that this is the scene where I think we get more with the most of the Batman hand to hand combat fights in this movie, and I really like it. But then he kind of just gets into a vehicle again. So that's really one. So, so one of my main disappointments with the movie is not getting that Batman action scene. That's kind of just more of a missed opportunity than something really wrong with the movie. And with this this time around, the Aquaman does come in to save them again, but this time I feel the introduction of showing Aquaman was a lot more cooler and epic because it kind of show you know show his face you know through the water and it's a lot more intense. I think one flaw with this scene that is do, it doesn't get resolved here is when Cyborg kind of just bails on the Justice League as they're just hanging on the Nightcrawler, like, halfway down the, you know, like, down the harbor. And that was very odd in the 2017 movie. In this one, the scene is longer, so it doesn't feel quite as abrupt. But again, I still don't understand kind of the logic behind this particular, that particular section of him, because he kind of goes to get the mother box. 
but it kind of feels out of place lined with the other scenes. So, so I, there's two more things that I believe are actually in part five, but I will just mention them here. We, of course, get our Martian Manhunter and Martha sequence in part five, but I'm just going to talk about it here. And basically, and I, I think this scene was great in terms of just being Lois Lane and Martha talking, but then once you brought John Jones, Martian Manhunter in, it kind of cheapened the scene, but also it just wasted time and kind of made no sense because he walks out in the middle of what, like an apartment building and just turns into a green alien. Now, I get that we've had Superman on the Earth, but that stretched it a little for me. And I, the CGI looks good, which I know there's been some complaints. For me, he looks fine, but he's kind of underused, so I don't see the point of bringing him in this movie. And that's definitely a few sec. That's at least like 20 seconds of stuff you could have cut from the scene. And once you have more of this kind of stuff, it definitely does add up by the end of it. And I'll talk about this too now, the anti-life equation they bring in with um, with Steppenwolf and they kind of learn the anti-life equation. It's it's the world that defeated Darkseid. So that was obviously something we had learned in the, in the previous part or two parts ago now. And that's why Darkseid is so interesting. This is where we get our first appearance of Darkseid kind of like in the, like in modern times. And he's talking to Steppenwolf and you can just feel the gravitas of this scene with these two godlike beings just talking and about this anti-life equation thing. And you just, you just feel the intensity for me a lot more. Now getting into part five, this is the part where it's kind of devoted to Superman being brought back. And it's one of the more kind of big and memorable parts of the movie, definitely, because it's a big point of the movie where we bring Superman back. And kind of like the setup for them doing it, it's not as... The Justice League aren't as divided about it until pretty much the instant moment when they're about to do it. Wonder Woman doesn't go into like this lecture. You know, they, they don't, Batman and Wonder Woman don't lecture each other. Which that scene felt really out of place in the other movie. It's not in here, luckily. And I think they kind of... And the scene where it shows... This is, I believe, at the end of part four, actually. But when they show... I like the Flash goes like, is everyone thinking what I'm thinking? When they, you know, they realize they can actually bring Superman back using the mother boxes and they kind of, and Superman's image pops up and they kind of circle around, the camera circles around all the Justice League members. That was such a chilling moment. I absolutely loved it. But kind of going back to Superman being brought back, the scene, I guess, I guess one thing I should say is that Silas, Victor's father, do the, they, they set up them going into the chamber in the Superman ship better and that they kind of cause a, a fake alarm and Silas who's first like no no this isn't a fake alarm lets him through because he trusts that his son is doing something right so he lets his son through and they're gonna bring Superman back and you know it's this big moment they go inside the Scriptonian ship and I love the scene where they're about to get bring him back it's one of my favorite scenes of the movie because this time Cyborg knows he has to charge him up but the way that the scene plays out and where Flash touches the mother box there's a nice effect added in but before I talk about that Aquaman starts to getting kind of cold feet about bringing Superman back. And right as Victor's about to tell the computer to pretty much go, um, he gets this vision in his head of what's going to happen if, or guys, vision, but kind of a calculation of what's going to happen if they do bring Superman back. And it's kind of a hint at the nightmare future that they're kind of facing bringing Superman back. There's a few things I noticed is that Wonder Woman is dead in the scene. Aquaman, I believe, is dead because I believe that they showed Darkseid just stabbing him. And I don't know if that, I, it was just me who saw it, but I definitely 
remember that Aquaman is also dead. And he's definitely dead, as you see at the end of the, at the nightmare sequence at the end of the film. But Superman, I believe, I mean, sorry, Wonder Woman and Aquaman are dead. And then they kind of show, I believe, Wayne Manor. Or was it the Hall of Justice? I believe it was Wayne Manor being destroyed. I'm not, and they show Lois Lane, her like kind of like just burnt flesh. And it's really, really grisly. And I love the way they showed Superman, the kind of dark side, trying to ease his pain. That's definitely setting up why Superman turns evil. And it shows Superman holding the bat cowl, maybe indicating that Batman's definitely gone up against him again. And Superman has turned to the other side. He's in, you know, the black suit. But then, but then all that. And, but then in the scene where they show kind of like the, the rubble and Superman just with the cowl, they also show a Joker card. And this, this ties in with the end of the movie and what the conversation between Batman and Jared Leto's Joker, which I'll talk about the end but I noticed it instantly and I was like oh I bet that's gonna come into play and it actually did and I was so and I was even though I said I bet I would come back into play I was surprised that it actually became that much bigger part of that team this nightmare future like montage they show was chilling it was really dark and it definitely showed what they're good but flash basically you know a cyborg saying three on on three or whatever one two three he, he's about to say stop but then Barry hears go so he kind of just goes and he's, you know, he's running quicker than pretty much he's ever ran. And as the mother, and basically, first what happens is the mother box goes into the, you know, the water in the Kryptonian ship. But then what Flash does is he kind of reverses time from what I understand. And he, when it reverses, he touches it as it's reversed. The mother box comes back out. And that definitely makes more sense because that's a lot easier to time, I'm guessing, because... You can see you you because you're, you'll 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 be standing next to it, so you you can you can know when it when it comes back up and touch it. And it definitely doesn't quite feel as convenient in this cut. We move on to the sequence where Superman, um, Superman fights the Justice League, and I think this is um this seems improved because I think that the musical cues in this I, for me work better. Then in the Whedon cut, I know there are people who like Danny Elfman's score. I found it very forgettable. But people definitely did. Prefer, some people definitely do. Will, will prefer that. It's definitely a lot more of the cheerful side of music. But aside from that, I think that um, Lo- they kind of use the same. But Batman doesn't kind of set up Lois Lane shows up. It's just her way of grieving, and luckily she's there. I will say though, I think that this franchise still hasn't found the perfect way to use Amy Adams' Lois Lane. And that's pretty disappointing because she's, she, if she, they use her right, she's going to be great in the goal. She's great in the role because she's a great actress. And I don't think she's been used perfectly yet. And again, with this movie, she's used in, like, kind of spades. But her role isn't fully clear until the end of the movie, which even then, it's kind of shady. But... Pretty much they leave, it's the same as the theatrical cut, but instead of Steppenwolf just taking the box, we go back in to, you know, Star Labs, and this time we have Silas Stone, who's, who pretty much, in this cut, which we see in the trailer, sacrifices himself to kind of, so that, to create a signal on the third mother box, and then, so that Cyborg and the Justice League can track it, obviously, to Russia, which is where the third act, not the third act, but, well, yeah, the third act of the movie takes place. So it was a really cool sacrifice. It was a really emotional sacrifice scene because of all the buildup they had done with with Cyborg and his father. And then Steppenwolf does take it, but obviously it comes in that Silas Stone knew that Steppenwolf was going to get the box, so he might as well have just helped the Justice League find it. And obviously, 
that up. And I really love this scene. This is another one of my favorite scenes of the movie. And also shows kind of a personal side of the other Justice League members. Especially Aquaman in the scene following this where he's kind of like, we're asking a kid who just lost his father to do all of this. And it's, it's not fair or whatever. And Barry's kind of like, I didn't think he cared. And it's a really good interaction. And it brings out a lot of great moments. So I, well, I really enjoyed pretty much everything they did bringing Superman back in this movie. So next up, we're going to talk about part six, the final part, which is titled Something Darker, I believe. So uh, for the first thing I like about this part that I definitely, that I very, uh, that instantly when it was mentioned, I really liked was when Bruce Wayne mentions the, the scene where Barry Allen kind of just appears from the future to, uh, that talk, tells him Lois is the key. I like that they call back to that scene because that's a very intriguing scene from BVS that never got mentioned again in the Whedon cut, so I love that it's mentioned here. But Bruce thinks that there's definitely something more to it than just um, using to help bring super, um, help cool Superman down. But speaking of Superman, let's talk about the farm scene. It is much improved in this one compared to the Whedon one, which was already good in my opinion. With this one, it was more emotional. I like the camera set up a lot more. And also, there was no CGI mustache, so instantly the scene was just better from that it didn't quite feel as i guess just uncanny and definitely felt a lot more realistic and i think the i love like the way martha comes in and the way she's using the scene too which she also came in the weed and cut but i don't know everything just kind of comes together better in this movie and superman obviously knows that batman and the team didn't bring him back just to you know be with you know his family again but to help him so Clark goes into the uh, Kryptonian ship, and we get these, like, voiceover from, you know, his two fathers, Jor-El and Jonathan Kent, where they mention kind of who's, uh, what, they kind of what they're kind of teaching Superman. I love the dichotomy of what the two fathers, fathers teach him. It's gone into a lot more in Man of Steel, another movie that I absolutely love from Zack Snyder. And I think I love that the lines are replayed. Usually I don't like it when voiceover is overused. But with this scene, it, it works so well because it's the first time in the movie we, we get to see the Clark and we know get into the black suit, known, also known, I believe, as the recovery suit. So I think I'm going to go with the name, the recovery suit, or maybe the black suit. I guess we'll see. So he puts on the black suit for the first time, and he kind of flies off, like, in his space, kind of showing. It's, like, similar to the scene in Man of Steel where he flies for the first time. It's kind of like a shorter version of that scene, kind of replayed here. And Hans Zimmer's flight theme is used, and it's used so well by Junkie XL. It was awesome. And again, they show the scope of it by him pretty much going into space and just, you know, feeling the air and everything again. It was awesome. I loved it. So now let's get into the final battle, the big, you know, kind of moment in the movie where everything kind of, you know, obviously resolves. And the final battle, you can see that the color grading and filtering was not as heavy as... And in the Whedon cut, and it definitely felt more coherent because it wasn't quite as large in the area of land being, like the fight was being fought over. And it felt a little more contained, but also a lot more coherent. It flowed a lot better and that Batman gets in, the, gets in the Batmobile, but this time the Justice League kind of come to help him in a way that's not quite as brushed over. And you can feel, you definitely feel the, connection between the members of the Justice, especially between Diana and Bruce, a lot more in this cut compared to Whedon's cut. And that's why that scene where the Justice League decide to help Batman instead of going off to fight Steppenwolf 
is better because Batman is truly the one who saved the universe by deciding to bring this team together, which Martian Manhunter mentions at the end of the movie, which I was hoping he would show up in this final fight. He doesn't, but that's kind of what I would have liked to see. And talking about this fight, the Wonder Woman, Cyborg, and Aquaman head off to fight Steppenwolf while the Flash is creating this like surge of energy by running around the entire like you know the the shield that Steppenwolf creates. He runs around and around so that he can come and touch Cyborg to kind of you know separate the mother box, separate the mother boxes, which Cyborg is kind of waiting for his chance to uh, separate them. And Batman is pretty much just shooting all the parody mins, which I would have liked a little more. You know, just martial arts fist fights with Batman. But he definitely does, is the character again, who I think gets the least memorable moments in this fight. Like, for example, I know we haven't talked about Superman coming in yet, but Superman gets a moment where he comes in, which was phenomenal, which I'll talk about in a bit. And that's such an iconic, that's going to be, that's going to become one of the most iconic DC moments of all time because of the theme playing and all that. And Cyborg is the one who separates the mother boxes again with Superman. The Flash reverses time. Wonder Woman decapitates Steppenwolf, and Aquaman is the one who kind of uses, kind of just forks him like with his trident. But Batman doesn't have that one moment in this finale where you'll be like, "Man, that was Batman." He has a moment, obviously, where he shoots the Parademon, and it's like kind of like remains in blood, kind of splatter onto the camera. That was a really nice effect. But it's the, he doesn't have a moment that you're gonna remember, and I was a little disappointed by that because I love Batman; he's my favorite superhero of all time, and all that stuff. So that's bias for me but I do think it's kind of weird to leave out one of your main characters having a great moment I would have liked a little more of those iconic superhero moments in this third act but I guess getting into it Wonder Woman Steppenwolf is about to pretty much kill Cyborg and get him away from the mother boxes and then Superman comes in and it's a much better entry where he Steppenwolf throws the axe at him and the Superman just blocks it with his shoulder and he says not impressed and Again, Hans Zimmer's theme comes back in here, and Superman just kind of like just you uses his freezing freeze breath to freeze the freeze the axe and break it, and then just pound Steppenwolf to the wall. And you can just feel the frustration of Steppenwolf. He just hammers the floor with his fist, and it's just and the fight is awesome. Superman just absolutely pounds him. You can see how much power he really has over the villains, which is a complaint that I know everyone's gonna have. Where they kind of, Superman just kind of solves everyone's problems. But it's so epic when he comes in, when you're watching, and you kind of don't really mind that as much. Like, the person I was watching and mentioned that I'm going to be really annoyed if Superman just comes in and just defeats him. Well, as we were watching it, we were so engaged that we didn't really consider that too much. But coming out of it, I can see why some people might be disappointed by that aspect of it. And, but basically, despite things apparently going well for them, the Flash, as he's running on one of the parody, even shoot him, and they get him pretty much on his waist, and he, and he can't continue running in time, and the mother boxes pretty much unite, and the unity forms, and the Justice League pretty much lose, and Darkseid is about to step through the portal, and that's, that was going to be it, the Justice League would have lost, and I was like, man, that is, that is deep, and super, and you can just feel kind of like the doom, impending doom, pretty much, especially seeing Darkseid, but then Barry Allen begins running, I'm like, wow, they're really going to do it, there was some hint at this in the first trailer where they showed Barry Allen's flash and the speed force around him, apparently. So I think I remember someone predicting that this would happen, but it actually does. The flash runs back, reversing time in one of the coolest moments in a DC movie I've ever seen, where the 
pretty much the entire building where the Justice League were fighting with Steppenwolf kind of reforms. And as Flash is running closer towards it, everything is reformed. And it's such a cool way to visualize time travel or the manipulation of time. And he forms everything and he manages to touch Cyborg in time before the, before the mother boxes connect with each other. And he's able to pretty much stop the unity from happening. And it's such a great moment for the Flash, a character who was completely completely pretty much mocked in the in the Whedon cut like I love the Flash he's one of my favorite superheroes of all time and it was embarrassing what they did with him in that movie and it's such a downgrade from this film to where I don't know how anyone ever thought him pushing a truck was as cool as him reversing time to save earth at that moment obviously what what happens you know beyond this is whatever but just it's it's it doesn't matter at this point. And as they do that, obviously we still have Steppenwolf. But he's completely, pretty much, he's completely out of it. Aquaman just stabs him with his trident, lifts him up. And it's, I'm like, wow, this is, and it's a really, like, brutal and, like, such a great death for the villain compared to, again, the Whedon cut where he is taken back to his land because he's scared of the Justice League by his own pawns being the parademons. It was ridiculous was cartoonish. I did not like it at all. In this cut, it's more epic in that Aquaman lifts him up and Superman comes in, just punches him. And as he's about to fly back through the portal to Darkseid, Wonder Woman comes in and just decapitates him. And then his head, separate from his body, falls through the portal and, 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 he, and the head lands right at Darkseid's feet, who crushes his head with his feet. And it's a very, very eventful few set of seconds, but it's such like a, a brutal and just epic death for a villain. I absolutely loved it. There's no way around it. It was so great. I'm so happy they did that. They, they changed this up because it was a much more fitting end to the villain. And the last shot pretty much of this sixth part is pretty much a, a shot of the Justice League together waiting for, the sh- for, the, for you know, Batman's cruiser to come in. And that's, it's a great final shot. It's a great Justice League team-up shot, and it's great. I love this finale, and I think the second half of the movie is definitely the more rewatchable side of the movie. This is a very long movie, but I would say the second, the final two and a half hours are definitely a movie that I would always want to rewatch. Well, the first hour and a half is a lot of build-up, a lot of great build-up, but it's a little slow when you're, going on re- when you're re-watching a four-hour movie. But I absolutely love this climax. There's massive improvement over the theatrical version. Continuing on to the epilogue, um, this they kind of wrap up all of the superheroes' journeys in this movie where we get the hero's journey throughout and all the characters kind of get their wrap-ups. It's kind of, some of, most of it is similar to Whedon's cut, but obviously it's a lot more powerful here because we've had more, we had, be- we had more and better time with these characters. But let's just get into the nightmare stuff. Because the, and it ends on Superman pretty much, pretty much pulling his, uh, is uh, pretty much like you, you get to see the Superman cross like you'd normally see. And it's the same as the Whedon cut, but this time we go into a nightmare sequence. And this is obviously what a lot of people have been discussing with this movie. And overall, this is sequence field tacked in. Is it a reshoot? Absolutely. Is it fun? To, and is, is it fun and awesome to see? Absolutely. We cut it and we see that there's kind of this team that they formed where they, we've got Deathstroke, Mera, because, and Bruce Wayne, Batman... Uh, Ezra Miller's The Flash and 
cyborgs. So we have a team of five members, I believe. I could be forgetting someone, but we also learned that Gerald Leto's Joker is also, they, they, they brought him along. And they're the ones who are going up against Superman because he's kind of taking over the world. And pretty much what this scene is, is the conversation, the long-awaited conversation between Batman and the Joker. What we get here is a very deep, dark conversation about pretty much, um, pretty much a really deep, long, pretty much a long, but really great conversation between the Batman and the Joker. It's extremely edgy and really hard compared to what we, you know, usually expect out of the out of the, um, you know, a comic book movie these days, like I've said. But what's so great about it is that you really feel the tension of it because I feel Jared Leto's performance in this scene is, and his take on the Joker is so much better here than it was in David Ayer's uh, Suicide Squad movie. Now, whether the air cut fixes his portrayal of the Joker, I don't know, and I still don't believe the air cut really exists because... I don't think there's like like tons of footage that David Ayer uh, shot that wasn't fully used. Now, obviously, he did. He has said that most of Jared Leto's Joker stuff was completely left on the cutting room floor, which is heartbreaking for him as an actor, but also just David Ayer as a director because he had a vision, and WB obviously didn't really let him fulfill it, which is all, which is never good. And I do like. To, I would like. Well, I would like to see what David Ayer did it's just i don't know if he would fix jared leto's interpretation in that particular movie but in this i really liked him because i felt his voice was a little more deep and the look of him again like we was going continuing this trend of the way that characters look in snyder's version is so much better and i think that's something that we can all come away saying is that we like the interpretation of the joker in this a lot more and that's great and the conversation is great. They go into talking. They talk about Robin and obviously referencing the boy Wonder and his death. They reference who's Bruce Wayne's relationships. And then, but one thing that I definitely want to talk about is when they mention that Harley Quinn did in fact die in this kind of like dystopian nightmare future they've come up with. And that's a really, that's interesting. I didn't expect that we'd get anything really like that in this. That's great that they're doing that. I mean, again, I'm not, I don't think it will, will ever really come, get a come fruition. I believe just today, Zack Snyder did say that he would have shot the death scene of Harley Quinn in a Justice League, se- Justice League sequel. And I have no doubt it would have, and I, know that, I have no doubt it would be a great scene, but Bruce Wayne basically describes that Harley Quinn told Bruce Wayne with his dying, de- dying breath to make Joker's death slow, and Bruce Wayne drops an F-bomb, pretty much to completely scare him, and Joker is kind of shook for a moment. This is where their truce comes with the card, tying back to that moment earlier, meaning that maybe Bruce Wayne broke the truce because the card is out, and he, in fact, killed the Joker. So there's a lot of so interesting setup with this scene. Again, I'm so, I'm so like, heartbroken. We'll never get to see the continuation of this. At least I don't think we will. If we do, I'll be jumping up a chair, and I'll be making an episode right away talking about it. But as of right now, we won't be getting it. And there's so much interesting stuff set up that that's really frustrating as a fan. But moving on, the final scene of the movie is Martian Manhunter showing at Bruce Wayne's doorstep. I thought this scene was really awkward and that Ben Affleck is so much lighter and looks so different in this scene. So obviously, they could go with time times pass. But that means Darkseid would be coming soon. So Bruce Wayne's got to get in shape. So 
the scene doesn't fully make sense, and I do think this is definitely by far the credit sequence that keeps dragging and that, you know, when he turns around, he goes like, some people call me the Martian Manhunter. That was unnecessary. They did not need that at all. But again, this scene is definitely is definitely overstretched. And I, I would have liked to see this scene cut. And I would have liked to, but this scene, I would have been fine with the Martian Manhunter not appearing because we have so much great stuff in this movie already. And it cut to credits, obviously, with Zack Snyder. Um, pretty much, uh, you know, obviously with, you know, the credits directed by Zack Snyder. So obviously also, oh, also I forgot to mention that they do kind of like, he does kind of, uh, there is like a four autumn, which is Zack Snyder's daughter and, you know, the tragedy that happened while filming this movie a few years ago. And I love that they, love that Snyder included that, obviously, much to kind of just commemorate his daughter. And that's always great. But that pretty much comes to the end of the movie. I went on for a lot longer about the movie. There's a lot to talk about. I'd love to see the continuation of, of this of Zack Snyder's universe. Hashtag restore the Snyderverse. I'm fully on board if they want to go that route. But anyways, did you have you guys seen Zack Snyder's Justice League? What did you guys think of it? Make sure to let me know if you can. Under the rating you leave on Apple Podcasts if you're listening on there. But besides that, show your support for me by sharing this episode with your friends as well as following the podcast to get to be notified whenever I upload a new episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye-bye.